0: The distinct interaction that I was having with God in that moment I felt like was one of just recognition and reflection of the thing that came across to me the most strongly in that moment was that I didn't know everything that I was committing to in that moment. There were going to be a lot of things that were going to happen that were going to test me and were going to challenge me and the commitment that I was making in that moment was to never give up on God and to never give up on the church. And that was what was being put into my heart in that moment as this is the thing you need to understand. This is the commitment that you were making.
1: Excited to be able to share this episode of the Cultural Hall with you. Uh, If you guys have not yet seen some of these tweets that have been hanging out in the Twitter universe, uh, you want to find... At Heather's desk. That's who we're going to be visiting with in this episode, and I also want to offer this: the conversation that we have is um, Heather's experience, and I know that there will people. Uh, be people who will feel contrary to how Heather feels. And I think that what we can do uh, with that is twofold. One, we could say, oh, she's wrong, and here's why. And I don't think that that's beneficial. But what I really hope that people do as you listen to this episode, if you, in fact, feel differently, I would love to hear from you. At uh, You can send us uh, uh, direct messages at The Cultural Hall, anywhere on social media, or you can send an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. And I'm not... So much interested in how you feel differently than her, but I would be curious as to know w- what your uh, ward, your stake, your branch is doing to be able to be all inclusive to folks, uh, or what you think uh, might be great suggestions for the particular situation which you're going to hear about with Heather uh, in this episode. So contact at theculturalhall.com, direct messages on all the social media, and I hope you enjoy this episode of The Cultural Hall.
2: To
1: live it's time for another episode of the cultural hall and uh excited to be able to have heather here with us now the way that this episode came about if you're not following like the almost 10,000 people who do so uh following the cultural hall on twitter you should do so um, because uh, a little bit ago i uh, got a uh, tweet from heather who said hey uh, you want to have a conversation on healthcare workers being denied the sacrament because we won't go back to church in person. Uh, and then the tweet continues. It says, I volunteer as tribute to which I said, yes, as I was very intrigued. So here we go. Heather, welcome into the cultural hall.
0: Hi, it's glad to, I'm glad to be here.
1: Now, before we get into all that, which I feel like queues up most of what our conversation will be about, I would love to know a little bit about you, where you live, uh, how old you are, uh. If you're a convert or a, a lifetime member of the church, some of those kind of basic things.
0: Oh, of course. So um, I've been a member of the church since two thousand six. I joined as a teenager. So I'm originally from the East Coast. I'm from Maryland. Okay. And I was introduced to the church through a couple of friends. I used to be a martial arts instructor. Cool. And what kind um, of martial arts? A, a taekwondo. Okay. And a couple of my students were members of the church and just through forming friendships with them, um, they introduced me to the church. They invited me to go with them. Uh, I was actually in a unit in the Philadelphia mission that didn't have its own missionaries. Hmm. So I actually took the discussions from members of my branch and they prepared me. They baptized me and they gave me a lot of those formative experiences in the church and you would think a lot of a lot of that sounds like something that would happen like oh way out in the mission field but this that was still the experience of plenty of places in the United States in 2006.
1: Mm -hmm. And and so sort of with it was it a was it a long journey to conversion or was it like you came and you were like yeah home this is it?
0: Pretty much um I was a weird teenager in that um like the Joseph Smith story has always really resonated with me because I was always that precocious kind of kid that just had a lot of questions and nothing was ever off limits in terms of what I was willing to ask or seek. And, um, I'd gone to church with a lot of different friends of mine. I've been, I was, my mom was Catholic. Um, my gram, my paternal grandmother had taken me to all different kinds of Christian churches throughout my life. I'd been to Seventh-day Adventist churches. I'd been to Catholic mass. I've been, I mean, you've name it. I've probably been there mm-hmm. um, because anytime anyone invited me to do anything, I would always say yes. <laughs> um, but by the time I was about 15, 16, I really started looking for, okay, so this is what everybody else believes. Where's my spiritual home going to be?
3: Yeah.
0: And trying to find a landing place for myself. And the first time I ever went to sacrament meeting, I could tell that it was different. And Part of my formative religious background was um, knowing that God was someone that you could pray to and always waiting to get an answer. I never felt like I got an answer to any prayer that I ever said. I could tell that God was listening, but I never had that burning bush, Moses sort of God talking back to you. And I'd been in search of a, a place where I would have that experience where that part of myself would finally be able to fully come alive. And the first time I went to the sacrament meeting, I knew I had found it and, um, immediately starting telling people, you know, this, this feels good. This feels right. What do I do with what I'm feeling? And just because of what my personality was like at the time, um, they thought I was joking oh. and I wasn't joking. <laughs> and, uh, my friends had handed me, you don't even know how many copies of the Book of Mormon. And that was a huge point of contention for me because I was one of those that was like, if we have the Bible, what do we need the Book of Mormon for? Mm-hmm. And he placed it in my hands one more time as I'm having this experience in sacrament meeting that I'm unable to articulate to anyone. I'm like, well, fine. I'll just read your stupid book. And so I like flip it open randomly and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm putting this in your hands. Like you, you tell me what you want me to do and we'll figure this out. And I open it up and it goes to Alma chapter 32.
3: Oh yeah.
1: Solid.
0: Mhm. And if you're not familiar with that chapter half about halfway down in verses 15, 16, it gets a little aggressive and it's like, you should be baptized. I'm like, Oh, I, well, I guess I gotta be baptized. And so I come out of like, keep in mind, I go to sacrament meeting, I'm in Sunday school, Sunday school hasn't even started yet. And I just had this experience. I leave Sunday school and I start walking around saying, I got to get baptized. Mm -hmm. And this is not the type of thing that people are used to having happen in their sacrament meeting, apparently every day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I go to my best friend's dad and I'm like, this is going to sound way off base, I think, but I need to get baptized. And he just looks at me like, I don't know what to do with this information either. And so it it went on for like the next two weeks. I'm like, okay, I'm coming back next week. And then I come back the week after that. And I just repeatedly keep saying to these people that I want to get baptized and they don't know what to do with this information because they don't have missionaries. Right. Like we don't know what to do. (laughs) So they finally get on the horn with some people at the Philly mission. And they're like, what do we do? And they're like, well, I guess you have to teach her.
1: Yeah. She probably needs to know a few things and then do
0: it. Yeah. Probably needs to, you know, understand at least somewhat of the commitment that she's making. Um, and in my mind being 16 and kind of stubborn, I guess is the best word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I viewed all of that as a formality, a formality, you know, don't, don't waste my time with that. Just, just put me in the water.
1: Yeah. Let's please. get it done. I'll figure let's the rest of that out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We'll figure the rest of that out later. And, um, Due to a lot of the mechanics of the actual baptism preparation process, especially in a situation like that, where you don't have missionaries and everybody has to literally Google how to figure this out. Mm -hmm. um, It took a while. It took a long time and it was taking long enough that it really started to make me mad. And I'm like, look, I'm getting baptized at the end of August before school starts. It's the last weekend before school starts. You have until then to figure this out because I'm tired of waiting (laughs) I'm showing up here. There's a baptismal font right there. We're going to put some water in it and I have to cannonball in there. Then that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> you're welcome to show up if you like. Yeah. And so like so, that so with I your hope, small... gives some insight into the type of person that I have always been and the way that I approach certain problems.
1: So awful, quiet, and meek. Uh,
0: no, <laughs> not
1: not imposing, just very you know, subtle. Subtle, I yeah, think. Subtle. Is the right way. Subtle. Yeah. yeah, Yeah,
0: yeah, that's my middle name.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, did they do it? Did they figure it out? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and at the end of August, I was baptized. And um, that was one of the most salient things that I took away from that experience because I've seen a lot of discourse over the years of people talking about what would be a more appropriate age if we were going to pick one to baptize people mm-hmm. so that they are more cognizant of the, of the commitment that they're making. And what's interesting is being 16, part of the experience for me is I was getting dressed and everybody was milling around and doing, preparing baptism things. Um, the distinct interaction that I was having um, with God in that moment, I felt like was one of Just recognition and reflection of the thing that came across to me the most um, strongly in that moment was that I didn't know everything that I was committing to in that moment. There were going to be a lot of things that were going to happen that were going to test me and were going to challenge me. And the commitment that I was making in that moment was to never give up on God and to never give up on the church. And that was what was being put into my heart in that moment, as this is the thing you need to understand. This is the commitment that you were making. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, I'm human. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to commit in that moment, that no matter what anybody does to me, that I'm going to stay.
3: Sure.
0: But that was what was really impressed upon my heart, probably because I needed it. Um, in that moment was, that was the commitment that I was making. And I've known that since I was 16 years old. Um, and there have been moments where that has been easy and there are been moments where that has been very, very hard. Um, but I'm still here.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think we'll probably get into, you know, one of those moments that, that might be particularly hard. One thing I want to ask though, is you had mentioned that in, in your experience with different religious observations before that you had never felt like you got an answer from from God that you had sort of been speaking and then that he was there what part in the process uh, of your conversion did you finally feel like this was God's answer God speaking back or did you feel that
0: I did feel that so something that will probably provide some clarity on that was um so growing up religion was something that was introduced to me in like snippets and what I chose to do with them was ultimately up to me. Um, my mother's family was Catholic, but they're all lapsed. And so there was never really any push for me to commit to anything there. Um, so it was something I just kind of absorbed in the environment around me. Mm -hmm. There was never any pressure for me to make any given decision. And my parents were very much of when you are old enough and you have a desire you'll make that decision for yourself. And um, having that type of freedom meant that I was able to explore. And one of the ways in which I did that was um, my grandmother gave me a children's Bible. And I was really familiar with a lot of stories in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament was really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. So I would start in Genesis, and I would read by myself, um, without anybody coaching me or telling me what things were supposed to mean. and I would just read through Genesis, up through Exodus, get to Moses, get to the part where they get lost in the desert, get bored, and then start over again. <laughs> <laughs> um because there's a lot of really good stories in the yeah. in section right there. Um, and what stuck with me the most, and I bring up the burning bush because that was that was it. Mm-hmm. Like this interaction where Moses goes into. I don't know, a cave or something. And he hears the voice of God who tells him, take off your shoes because the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. And just this very personal, um, conversational type of relationship. And in the churches that I've been to, um, that wasn't even something that I was taught to look for. Hmm. That was something that to even expect, um, But a lot of the messaging that I got was that, that, well, that's awfully presumptuous. What makes you think God even really wants to talk to you. He's talked to these prophets and all their words got written down. Like you should be content with that. And I wasn't because in a very, again, Joseph Smith sort of way, it's like, if God can talk to old dead guys, why can't he talk to me? Right. He should be able to talk to me personally. Um, And I don't want to have to go through all of these filters of pastors and scriptures and all these other things. I want this person who is supposed to love me to talk to me. And, um, I remember having experiences as a child where I knew what that felt like. And I knew what that sounded like because I prayed and I did get answers. And then as I got older, um, went through puberty, had different experiences and, and got further away from, I guess, um, that innate knowledge that everyone comes into this world with Mm -hmm. on some level. Um, I felt like I had been pulled away from that. And so it was constantly a journey to get back to something that I already somewhat recognized, um, but hadn't experienced in a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Because the one thing I know for sure is that God talks to children. He never doesn't. Mm -hmm. And when they reach out to him, he reaches back unconditionally. Mm -hmm. Um, but then life has a way of, um, putting you through things and giving you experiences that, um, Pull you away from that. And so, in the experience of trying to get back to whatever that was, I didn't know how to understand it. I didn't have the vocabulary to explain it or describe it to anybody, but um, just feeling like I got answers to my prayers. And um, it was a, a, a gradual awakening, I would say. And it, it was greatly accelerated by contact with the LDS church. And it was something I wasn't used to. It's like all of a sudden now you're talking to me. And like, there was a certain amount of like frustration with that where it's like, if it was always this easy for you, where have you been all of these years? And then, you know, going through the missionary discussions and learning more about the Holy Ghost and the gift of the Holy Ghost and how that works. Like, like intellectually, I understand it, but Mm -hmm. I still feel like I think it's something that I have to remember not to take for granted because there was a point in my life where this was all that I wanted Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I would have given anything for um, to have that, that conduit, that communion, that whatever you call it, that, that uninterrupted connection that I still feel like to this day, I can enjoy at any moment. There was a point in my life where I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's something that's really, really important to me. And it's something that part of what I've had to learn in my journey in the church is not everyone sees it the same way I do.
3: Sure,
0: Um, They don't see that in a certain sense, do ordinances help to open this conduit and, and, and facilitate this connection and, and deepen and, and, um, bring and invite the Holy ghost into our lives. Absolutely. But, in a lot of ways, he's always been there independent of what we say and do, and we need him. And just by virtue of being human and being um, imperfect and being in that state of needing, in a lot of ways, even when we're not deserving, those blessings will still be there. Mm. And I've learned that through the process of being a convert in a way that I've actually had to teach to other people who were born and raised in the church because they view this relationship as being highly conditional on the things that they say and think and do and, and like plugging equations into a calculator and that's not the way things work. <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, I So a curious question that I have that I hope doesn't lead to further frustration or, or down a path that you're like, no, I have sort of set that on the shelf for a hot minute. Uh, when, <laughs> when, when you look at, at, you know, that it wasn't until you're 16 um, that you have this introduction and, and conversion to the to the church, to the faith, uh, to the knowledge that, that God can, in fact, speak back and you have an affirmation of it. Do you have any um, points that you look to and go, hey, maybe this was why, maybe this was part of the plan as to why this came a little bit later? Meaning if you would have had it earlier, maybe you wouldn't have recognized it or anything like that.
0: So I think um, my best response to that one is God knows the creature that he made. Mm -hmm. And he knows that um, somewhere along the line, I I developed just a certain degree of stubbornness that I just have to learn how to manage. And so if at any point, he pulled me in any particular direction, the first thing I would have done is resist. Mm -hmm. Because I'm one of those people where I have to figure things out on my own, I have to learn from um, my own experiences. And I want to feel like the choices that I'm making are mine, and so the family that I was raised in very much facilitated that. It's something that I've I've contemplated on a lot. Where God knows what He's doing, and one of the ways that that's manifested in my life was I was given a significant amount of freedom that most other people my age I don't think would have been able to handle. Hmm. And even you know friends that I've had in the church when I explained to them the way that I was raised, where I could basically go and do anything I wanted. And what I chose to do with that freedom was to go to church. Like that whole thing is just something that's beyond them. Because I think a lot of people that are raised in the church, when they get that degree of freedom, the first thing they want to do is go and experiment with the other. And what they don't realize is that the other for me was church.
1: Uh, I want to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to pick up your story, and then, uh, as many people find themselves doing, the journey westward as to what it brings you to where you're at today, Mm -hmm. and then uh, I want to get into your tweet a little bit as well. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. (laughs)
2: When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit Lennondesign.com. Hi friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. I get a lot of emails from people all the time. Here's one. Dear Dan, I hear your talk about a lifetime service guarantee. Free? Really? Please help me avoid all your fine print and be honest about what free means. You understand that we should be very wary of A free offer signed Skeptical. Hi Skeptical. I remember 22 years ago when we started PC laptops and our lifetime service guarantee, people thought it was too good to be true. Well, you know, after a decade, people started believing me a little bit. But you know, it's been 22 years of having the privilege to serve our friends and neighbors like you. Our lifetime service guarantee has become the most trusted warranty in the industry. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop computer for $7.99 with a lifetime warranty. Check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here's to seeing you soon, Skeptical. Here in the second block of the
1: Cultural Hall, if you are not yet a Patreon saint, encourage you to do so. Go to Patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. And with your pledge, you're able to uh, be a part of that secret but not sacred uh, group where all the other Patreon saints are hanging out. Uh, You get to see the video uh, that accompanies this episode, as well as you get to see nerdy tangents that we find ourselves diving down, uh, depending on something that was said in an episode or something that's going on within the church, or just a really funny meme that maybe we don't want to share broadly, but we share it in that group. Uh, It's patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Heather, so we finally figure it out. We figure out, hey, we can baptize her by the end of August, It happens. And then how do you make your way to where you are now in Idaho?
0: Um, So my only ambition for college was to go to BYU. Um, And a huge part of that was I really felt like I needed to um, get some separation from my family. I didn't have the healthiest home environment growing up. And part of how that manifested um, from the time I joined the church to the time I left home was um, my mom would make it very difficult for me to go to church. She would make up excuses to ground me, to keep me from going. Mm. Um, she, she's a lapsed Catholic, but she's still Catholic enough to where she's never fully been able to comprehend why I, if I wanted to be religious so badly, why couldn't I just be Catholic? Right. I, and I think that's a huge part of um like on some level, she feels like she failed. Mm. And, but I don't, it's trying to make sense out of a lot of contradictory things because many things can be true with people at once. Mm -hmm. So while she, um, understands that it was a good thing to give me the freedom to make these decisions myself, she still wishes I would have picked what she would have wanted to give me. Um, and it led to a lot of contention and arguments and fights and it just, just irony of, why do I have to argue with my parents to go to church? Why is this, why does this make sense? Why? And so by the time I was 18 and I was leaving home, um, I was very adamant that I wanted to get as far away from that as possible to fully immerse myself in, um, in an environment where the church was the given Mm
3: -hmm.
0: in order to, deepen my conversion and to have experiences that I couldn't have where I lived, um, to have ready access to the temple, because I had a lot of temple work to do for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going to BYU made a lot of sense to me. Um, I went there as a freshman, had a lot of really positive experiences there as a freshman. Um, and then around the time that a lot of the young men started getting mission calls and going off on missions, I felt something kind of awaken inside of me in terms of a desire to... potentially serve a mission Hmm. um this was before the age change so i had to wait to be 21 Mm -hmm. and that was um going to be an unacceptable interruption to (laughs) the progression of my life at that point to wait that long
3: Uh
0: um so i spent a long time trying to suppress that feeling that that was what i was going to do because the idea that I would fight my mom so long to get into that school to leave and then go on a mission. Like there was no combination of words in any language that was going to make her understand that. None. Mm -hmm. And so as it played out that way, and that's what happened, um, there came a point where she just didn't talk to me
3: anymore. Wow.
0: Um, Like I lived at her house, but she didn't speak to me. And uh, when I got my mission call, That was really hard for her. I served in the Brazil Sao Paulo Interlagos mission, served for the whole 18 months. I spent um, several months of that mission serving in the Temple Square mission, waiting for a visa because I went during the the visa crisis of 2011, 2012. Mm -hmm. And when I came home, I came home to someone that I met in a singles ward Before, like during my college years, um, we we did the whole, we'll wait for each other. But like it actually worked out. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Wow. So we actually served our missions at the same time. And we wrote to each other while we were on our missions. And he was serving in the Vegas mission. And when I got home, I had to actually like get some money so that we could get married. Mm -hmm. And then we were sealed in the DC temple. And that basically started my adult life. Um, a year after we got married, we ended up moving to Idaho because my husband got a job here and we've been here ever since.
3: Wow. Wow.
0: Try living it at that pace. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah. It was so much.
1: It's... Uh... It it's fun, you know, knowing as, as sort of we've discussed and knowing that you know your desire of your heart was to just feel like God was answering prayers and then being able to to see this and you know everyone listening to this and me hearing it coming from your mouth being like, oh yeah, I see how that piece came here and this piece comes here. But in in the midst of it, in the living of it, I'm sure it's it's one of those things where it's like, man, this is what's the point? How is this working? Why is this like this? So then, flash forward to today, and I want to reread. Uh, the tweet that you uh, initially sent and what spurred this whole conversation. Um, it said, hey, at the Cultural Hall, which, by the way, is where you can find this on Twitter, want to have a conversation on healthcare workers being denied the sacrament because we won't go back to church in person. I volunteer as tribute. And then I also, uh, as I was trying to find out just a little bit more about you in The time that lapsed from when you sent that tweet to today. I also saw that you tweeted out another message that says, I'm being asked by my husband to correct my wording here, as it is not an accurate reflection of what is happening. Because I have the opportunity to ask my bishop each and every week for permission to take to partake of it at home, my access isn't being denied, it's being limited. So set the stage, tell me what's going on.
0: Okay, so Um, as I mentioned before we started, my husband and I just bought our first house. Um, we were able to stay in the part of Boise that we really like. We live in the North end specifically in garden city, and I really like it here, but just in the very action of moving across the river, four minutes away from where I used to live, I'm not only in a different ward, I'm also on a different stake now. Mm -hmm. And so the entire time that I lived in Idaho, uh, got used to the very different culture that is here. Cause I'm from the East coast and. Um,
1: Give me an idea for those that, I mean, I think we've all probably kind of know, <laughs> but put voice to a couple of those things where you're like, East coast was this Idaho is this.
0: Um, I remember, you know, those, those fake maps that come out where it's like, Oh, like we looked for these search terms and these States are this and these States are that. Like there was one of those that came out, and it pointed out that Maryland and Delaware are two of the most miserable states in the entire union. Uh And I find that to be so funny because um, there's a certain degree of truth to that. But what other people mistake as us being like gruff and mean and miserable is um, a very brutal honesty. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've seen people take contention with the idea of, of brutal honesty before. Um, But the thing is, when you're honest with people, and you tell them something they were not ready to hear, their reaction is their responsibility Mm -hmm. (laughs) on a certain level. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the way God made me, I, Mm -hmm. I communicate and I say exactly what I think. And people in Idaho are not used to that mm-hmm. because the number one value in social interactions here is not honesty. Like it is where I come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call it being real. Mm-hmm. Um, it's friendliness. Mm. It's, um, your ability to get along with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so in social interactions, here, something that I've noticed in the time that I have lived in Idaho and I've been here for a while now. Um, people don't value honesty in the interactions as much as they do in your willingness to get along with them and for things to be nice and for things to be friendly and, um, for things to gel. Mm -hmm. And that is not that's a skill I've had to learn. And it's been very, very hard for me to learn. I've had to develop a a, more of a filter than I've ever had in my entire life. Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: I've had to learn how to consider the feelings of other people um in how I communicate certain ideas it's been good for me mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing but it inherently means that there's a cultural difference that makes it very hard for me to communicate with other people here and have them understand me mm-hmm. the way that people would understand me back home mm-hmm. um you, you know like a really good example that I explain to people is like if I saw my best friend from way back when on the east coast for whatever reason if they were here um i would probably to even filter it even further go hi you big jerk how are you only mm-hmm. i wouldn't use the word jerk sure <laughs> we're just we have a, a banter and a, and a boisterousness um like it, and part of it is insulting like you insult each other but it's fine like because mm-hmm. we know each other and you can't you can't do that here you cannot do that here. They don't, they don't like it. (laughs) So it's
1: to me uh, in some levels, it's almost like a misinterpretation of like the contention is of the devil. So we sort of steep ourselves completely in the opposite direction. And so it's like, always get along. You must always get along. If contention is the way that the devil rolls, then Mm -hmm. we must avoid it at all costs. And oftentimes end up not saying something when we really should say something like, hey, that was terrible. Why did you say that? You yes. are being a jerk right now. And there's yes. no way to be able to say that in a kind way. But the, the person is, in fact, being a jerk right then.
0: Right, exactly. And it was something that I learned as I was in Utah. But the thing with Utah is that Utah is a magnet for pl- people from all over the place. Mm-hmm. So it was not hard for me to find my tribe in Utah of people who would just let me be me. Mm -hmm. And I still have connections with people from all over the country that I met, especially from my freshman year, who because they weren't steeped in that particular flavor of Mormonism, Mm -hmm. they just let me be myself. And I love and treasure those people. So Utah had a way of allowing me to find myself where I needed to be. Idaho is not like that. Idaho is, um, I don't want to say sheltered, because I know that's the wrong word, but it's very um, geographically isolated. Mm -hmm. And up until pretty recently, there wasn't much of a magnet to bring people all over the country to here. That has since changed. Mm -hmm. Um, Boise, especially, is one of the fastest growing communities in the country. So it's, it's something that is actively Changing in the culture around me, people are having to become more cognizant of the things they think and say and do because all of a sudden they're surrounded by people who think differently from them. Mm-hmm. But there's not a whole lot of awareness on the part of some of what it means to be sensitive to other people because they've been surrounded by people who think like them for so long sure. that the idea of having to open their mind, especially in a place like church, is completely foreign to them. Mm-hmm. Um, And in my last ward, it was something that um, was the backbone of a lot of the experiences that I had is how do I bring my experiences to the table in a way that they can be accepted um, while still being respectful to the needs of the people around me? Um, And and a lot of it was like it felt like taking ideas and putting them through a strainer Mm -hmm. and having to remove anything that was extraneous, except the most important thing I wanted to get across to people. Mm -hmm. And um, it was hard. It was really, really, really hard. It was exhausting. It was absolutely exhausting. And now I find myself in a position where I have to start all over again. And it makes me want to cry (laughs) (laughs) because what I built in those relationships in my first ward was gradually people coming to the recognition of, oh, she's not mean. That's just how she is. Right. And we like her. Mm -hmm. You know, her ideas are a little bit wacky and not anything I would have considered before. But Mm -hmm. I just like her because she's lovely and friendly and nice because I had figured out how to temper my way of being with what they expected. Mm. And um, to this day, I just ran into some people from that ward at the grocery store yesterday. And they're like, I love you. I miss you. I went to Utah and came back and and I was looking for your face because I love you. And I'm like, <laughs> I haven't seen you in years. I don't even remember your name, but that just, that, that hit me in my tender place. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it worked, it it worked. And things are different now though, mm-hmm. because I was, I built those associations before the 2016 election, mm. before COVID, mm-hmm. before a lot of the polarization that we see right now.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So it, it may sound as simple as we'll just do all the same things you did before and it should work again.
1: Different landscape.
0: It's a different landscape now. And I don't think it's going to work nearly as well.
1: <laughs> so, so I want to get directly to it though. Let's we've, we've sort of set the stage. I feel like uh, given people a good idea of who you are and where you come from and, and the foundations of your testimony and, and and all that. Because I think that likely um, some of what we may talk about um, may feel like you're, you know, pursuing or issuing some on some level a challenge or like, what are we doing here or, or, or in, in maybe some ways being critical. And I, I think it's important to um, to say that, but also recognize that there's nothing wrong with being critical. In fact, you know, from our very roots, it's, hey, why are we doing this? what, what's going on here? Am I going to do this thing? How does this work? And so, um, I, I want to know, uh, what's going on. Give me the scenario. What What's, what's the deal with this church sacrament thing?
0: Okay. So before I set that up, I think it's important to set up, um, how I became a healthcare worker. Okay. Um, because a lot of what informs where I'm coming from with this comes from my job. Um, in the time that I've lived in Idaho for most of it, I've been a housewife. Um, and it was because of the, um, the stimulus package that I actually had the money to go back to school so that I could finish my education and get that part of my life back on track because I had not been back to college since I left on my mission. Hmm. And that was a real, I won't say a point of contention, but that was that was a huge sacrifice that I made Um, and a lot of conversations that I've had with the Lord about it since then was, um, I did my part. I need you to do yours and actually put this part of my life back together because I really didn't like, I mean, I've always been very grateful that Mm -hmm. my husband always made enough money that I was able to stay home, but that was not my vision for my future. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to support myself and to have a skill set that would allow me to be employable. Mm -hmm. And the longer I was remaining unemployed, the more difficult that was becoming. And um, so when the stimulus checks came through and that money was there and my husband and I were having a conversation of, well, what do you want to do with yours? I already knew what I wanted to do with it. I wanted to go back to school and it wasn't a lot of money, obviously, but it was enough to get me started somewhere. And so it um, turned into a real um, prayerful activity of what, where am I going to go? What direction do I want to go in now that I have more adult experiences? What do I want to do with my life? What do I want to be when I grow up? Uh And, um, what I kind of narrowed it down to, it's like, okay, I should probably work in healthcare because then I'll always have a job. Um, and there's two different flavors that I could do. I could do human medicine or I could do animal medicine. Mm. And I had some human animal medicine, things lined up. And then I started looking into vet med options and, Um, the second I pushed on that door, it just opened after years and years and years and years of feeling like I was just pounding my head against a brick wall. Um, everything came into place at the time that it was supposed to come into place. And I now work in a veterinary clinic here in Boise. Um, and I've never had something I've wanted that much come together in the same way that it did, like since my mission, Like the way my mission came together in a lot of ways was pretty miraculous. And this was kind of the same flavor of like um, God keeping a promise to me and helping me to put this part of my life back together. So I brought my best to this. Um, I brought all of the prayers, all of the sacrifices, paid my tithing, was doing all the things I was supposed to do. And I feel like this is the blessing that I'm getting. Um, and that's very much how I view my role as a healthcare worker is as a blessing mm-hmm. from my heavenly parents to me. And um, the ability to do the schooling while I'm working full time. Um, my my load right now is overwhelming. It is truly overwhelming um, to have bought a house and moved and been in school and working full time. Wow. At, in, a, in a new field that I had no experience in and had to learn how to do everything from the ground up. Um, it was it was hard. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But I felt like that that divine wing beneath my wings, like keeping me afloat and giving me the support and the energy that I need to be able to do this. My days are long. They start at seven in the morning. I don't get home until six o'clock at night every night. I do that four days a week. I work with a lot of different personalities. I work with different doctors. I work with other nurses. Um, I have had to learn COVID protocol, how to prevent infectious diseases, um, contact time with cleaning solutions, (laughs) like just things that I didn't have to think about all this time through COVID But now it's my most important responsibility right now, Mm -hmm. because I am literally on the front lines of preventing the spread of this virus in a clinical setting, because COVID does not just infect humans, it affects animals. And the more that we transmit it back and forth to each other, that's where these variants come from. Mm -hmm. That's, That's basics of virology 101 so that's something that i take very very seriously as part of my role in the vet med community um and what i've learned and realized and come into contact with for the first time since i'm reentering the workforce after covid has started is that even within my field there is not unity on those points sure there's not unity on how to best protect people or even how much of a threat there really is. I work with people who are not vaccinated. I work with people who are not vaccinated and who do not mask. I have previously worked with people who came to work while actively infected with COVID. Wow. And um, to work in a healthcare profession where that happens is one of the most frustrating things in the entire world because it's just counterproductive to what we do. Right. How can we practice good medicine when this is the way that, that when this is what we're dealing with on, on a human level, on a, on a, on a coworker level, like what? So it's, I've had, I have a lot of feelings <laughs> I'm going to be <laughs> dealing with in therapy for a while, I think. Yep. And um, but I'm not unique in that. I know I'm not
3: sure.
0: Um, but all of that was pretty insulated from church because in my previous ward, they already tried this game where it's like, well, what if we just get rid of the restrictions? And what if we just don't, don't enforce anything? And we just let everybody come back together. What happens? Mm -hmm. Like, let's just see what happens. And what happens is people die. Mm. People die of infections that they get at church. And that happened in my previous stake with my previous ward within three to four weeks. When that started happening, they reintroduced all of the same restrictions again. Mm -hmm. So in my previous unit, we've already been through this, right? They've already learned these lessons. They've learned that in a fight with a virus, you always lose. You will always lose. It doesn't matter that you have God on your side. You lose against the virus because that's how viruses work. That's how God made them to work. Right. Ask him why, I don't know. Yeah. But uh,
1: that's just, something I'll be asking him at some point. What was the point of this whole 2020, 2021 virus thing? God, but
0: right. Point, I understand. It's 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 part of his plan of things we need to learn. And part of what I've seen on my end of it is that part of what we're supposed to be learning is how to get along with each other better,
3: mm-hmm.
0: how to show each other more respect than I think we have become accustomed to doing. And for reasons of culture, of this moment turning into what it is, Mm -hmm. that is now the challenge we have to live up to within the church. Um, We have to see each other through different eyes than I think. And I think a lot of this comes back to the 2016 election. We have to start putting that stuff away. We have to start seeing the humanity in one another in a way that I think we have forgotten how to do.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: And, um, anyway, to pull it back into the, the, how this all started, um, that is the attitude that I came into my new ward with of, I have all of this baggage that I'm carrying from my job and I want to put it down. Mm -hmm. I need a place where I can put it down from week to week because it's too heavy for me to carry it. So, um, trying to go to church and going to my ward and the first time that I went to my new ward I would say probably 10% of the building was wearing a mask mm-hmm. myself and my husband included and I'm looking around and I'm like there's there's not enough social distancing in here nobody's wearing masks. I know what the what the, I know what the infection rate is right now. I know what the what the vaccination rate is right now mm-hmm. and I I find myself I I can't focus on the sacrament. I can't focus on the things I'm supposed to be focusing on in that meeting because mm-hmm. I'm sitting here doing math of what my likelihood of becoming infected is.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And that was the only time we've gone in person. And ever since then we've been doing the Zoom stream at home. And that was not a problem. I have no problem doing that. Um Clearly I am outnumbered, so I am the one that's gonna go home. And and you know, this was before the kids could get vaccinated. Um, I think this was even before the teenagers were able to get vaccinated. I don't remember how long ago that was, but like it was long enough ago where I'm like, oh my gosh, there's way too many people in here not wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. And so we go back and we do the Zoom church thing. Well, then last week we get an email that was sent out directly from my new bishop Mm -hmm. saying that he was deauthorizing. Um, Passing of the sacrament in people's homes. He wants people back at church. He wants us all in the building. They're ramping up activities where they're inviting the whole ward to come. Mm -hmm. There's no um, checking of vaccine status, which I didn't expect. There's no mask mandate, which I feel like is something that's a little bit more within our our control and a little bit more of our our social responsibility that I feel like is pretty reasonable. Mm -hmm. None of that. Mm -hmm. And What came out of me in that moment, I didn't have the ability to put it through my filters anymore. Because like I said, part of me living in Idaho means I have to take everything that I think and say before I say it and shove it through all of these filters, all of these filters to make it nicer, to make it more palatable, to make it acceptable to people here. And it doesn't work. It doesn't fit. Like by the it's not possible for me to, n- to take enough of it out to where it's not going to sound confrontational.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: How do I say to my bishop, it's unacceptable the number of people who are in this building not wearing a mask without that being some interpreted as some sort of direct challenge to his leadership in a way that I don't mean it to be? Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to criticize. I'm pointing out a scientific fact. The number of people who are unmasked and probably unvaccinated in that building is going to kill people. I, I, don't, I don't have a nicer way to say it. And finding myself in that position, I decided that if there is no nicer way to say it, then I just need to say it. I need to just tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote an email tried to put it through my filters as much as I could. I made it as nice as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And that's actually been one of the funny things in terms of the responses that I've been getting to it is people saying, "Wow, you were a lot nicer than I was or mm-hmm. a lot nicer than I want to be," mm-hmm. talking to my leaders in my branches and my stakes and my wards right now.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I've had a lot of people say that to me. So clearly, on some level I was successful, but it doesn't matter Because what his email represented when he said he was deauthorizing the sacrament, it was an ultimatum. Mm -hmm. You come back to church and you get the sacrament in person or you're not getting the sacrament. Now, I understood the ultimatum when it was given. Other people who live in my house (laughs) wanted to give the the benefit of the doubt um, and to believe that that's not what was happening. Um, other people who live in my house have since been proven wrong because we asked, we asked for permission and we didn't get a response. And at this point, I'm not expecting one.
1: So I want to pause right here. So, so email goes out to everybody in the ward. You respond, not probably on a reply all, but probably a private message between you and the Bishop. You send it back. You recognize from other people who may be like-minded to you who also have sent messages and said, you know we we you know sort of sent this or what did you say and all that and um so then in an in an addition or in the same message did you say hey we'd really like to not do that is there a way that we can continue to have permission to do it this way or were they two separate correspondences or how did was that fall It two
0: separate out? correspondences um so I'll I'll back up so I sent my message mm-hmm. um saying in no uncertain words I can't as a healthcare worker in good conscience go to that sacrament meeting, right? I cannot. And I will not do it because I pose too much of a risk to the people in that building of potentially infecting them. And the because fact of your that interaction,
1: because of your interaction with everyone day to day. And, and exactly.
0: I have on any given day, I take between eight and 12 appointments. Um, we have half hour appointments in my clinic. Mm-hmm. I'm in a closed confined space with random members of the public Mm -hmm. who in geography go from here all the way out to Caldwell. Mm -hmm. And that's a big geographic distance. I come into contact with my patients are dogs, cats, and exotic animals. I've dealt with chickens. I've dealt with skunks. I've dealt with, you name it. I've had it. Mm -hmm. Um, I have dealt with people who range on the ideological spectrum from, Um, their car is covered in red state blue voter bumper stickers to Trump flags on both sides of the pickup truck Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the like working in a vet med office it feels a lot like working at Walmart sometimes you get everybody because Mm -hmm. everybody has dogs and everybody cares about their dogs and what I've noticed is that there are people who will do Treatment for their dogs that they will not do for themselves. I have anti-vaxxers who come in and vaccinate their dogs
3: <laughs>
0: because the love that we have for our animals, I think transcends the love that we have for ourselves sometimes. Hmm. And it's really interesting to watch that play out in the lives of people around me. But I know the risk that I pose to the people in my ward. My ward is significantly older. It's full of geriatric people. hmm it it
1: would it so if I so if go I go through
0: there like wildfire and I don't want to be the person who does that.
1: So if I can walk through that in your thoughts, it's like, hey, listen, you know what, Zoom church is working for us. Okay. We'd just like to continue to be able to take sacrament from home. You know, mm-hmm. it 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 is a, a no harm, uh, no foul kind of thing. This is what we've been doing. We'd like to continue to do it. Seems to work for us until we can get a greater grasp on this or until you know, your comfortability would change in in order to help you feel comfortable to be there in church. So I want to, I want to pause that line of, of kind of talking about it. And I would be curious as to, as you've t- sought to understand this and, you know, had some time to think quite a bit about it, I would imagine over the last week or so, why do you think that he is doing it? Like, as you try and put yourself into his perspective, you know, sitting down, authoring an email that he knows not everyone is going to like the response of, but says something to the effect of, hey, we're not doing this. You can do sacrament within your own home. Why do you think he's doing that?
0: Um, based on the email that I got back from him. Oh, I, so he did he,
1: respond. OK, he did I, respond, I okay. He's
0: responded to that. He responded to my initial email okay. and the response that he gave. And it's on my Twitter if anybody wants to see these messages from start to finish. I posted them online, um, just because I have found a tremendous amount of support in Twitter church. Mm-hmm. Um, they are an important component of home church for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, I really just felt myself hungering for the community that I've come to love. And so I shared what was going on over there mm-hmm. and in the message that he sent back to me, um, he basically, um, Blamed it on the stake. Mm-hmm. That, um, he has extended sacrament at home as long as he's been able to. And now the decision is being made over his head mm-hmm. um, to basically remove that ability mm-hmm. um, by other people that he's working with
3: mm-hmm.
0: at the stake level. Mm-hmm. Um, he also pointed out in a way that did not make me feel any better, um, that the ward that I'm currently assigned to is actually one of the most compliant with mask wearing and, um, and those and social distancing precautions in the stake. Mm -hmm. So going through a building and seeing 10% of people wearing a mask and that's the most compliant unit. Right.
1: Right. right. um,
0: I feel like on some level, um, in a way that I couldn't fully appreciate it. When I first saw the message, I think he probably feels a lot of the same things I do. Mm -hmm. He probably feels a lot of the same frustrations that I feel. He feels a lot of the same fear for his kids because I know he has young kids at home. Mm -hmm. Um, our hospitals are completely overrun. Mm -hmm. They've been overrun for months now. The idea of, Anyone that he loves being in one of those hospitals, I'm sure it terrifies him the same way it terrifies me. Sure. We are in crisis standards of care in our hospitals, which means if you're not dying, you're not getting in. Right. And even then there's a good chance you're not getting life-saving treatment because our, hosp- our hospitals are full of COVID patients. Mm-hmm. I don't know a person here, including people that I know who refuse to take the vaccine, who are not afraid of that. Right. So when I put on my let's empathize with people, I disagree with hat, I can totally see where he's coming from. What, what falls apart for me in that moment of empathy is that he is still a bishop,
1: right? Still, still, ha- has, still has ability to lead.
0: He has a, an obligation and a duty to lead. He has mm-hmm. a duty and an obligation to protect the members of his congregation. Mm -hmm. and to the extent that he does that and does not do that, he will be held accountable by God. I fully believe that Mm -hmm. the same way that I will be held accountable if I go there knowing the line of work that I work in and I potentially infect someone. I fully anticipate being held accountable at my tribunal with my heavenly father for how I acted in this moment, Mm -hmm. and that is something we all will face one day and I don't see enough discourse from anyone, from any side of the political ideology who is fully exploring the implications of that. If we believe in a loving God, if we believe in a God who finds life to be sacred, who created this world for us to learn not only how to inhabit it and co-inhabit it together, But also to understand the scientific processes that make it work. And for us to ignore those because of the philosophies of men that surround us in our day to day lives, I don't imagine a situation where a loving God is going to look kindly on that Mm -hmm. because of how we treated each other in this moment. And I just, I feel a profound sense of frustration and loss because it's and i even said this to someone who responded to my tweets who's currently serving as a bishop he says that part of how he's gotten around some of these same ideological differences in his units um, was to offer um, blanket access to the sacrament for anybody who at who asked for it and he said what is the likelihood that your bishop would do that And i said i have no idea because i don't know him the only thing I know about him is that he is comfortable enough with people becoming infected with COVID in his sacrament meeting that he has given up. Mm-hmm. And what I know about such a person is I don't trust them. Right. And that is the first time in my life that I've been in a position, like I've been in positions where I've been with leaders and had to work with people that I didn't agree with, that. on some levels I didn't like, Mm
3: -hmm. but
0: I've never been in a position where I have felt like I can't trust them. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't feel like I can trust him. I don't feel like I can trust his intentions. I don't feel like I can trust what comes out of his mouth in terms of how seriously he's taking these precautions because I see what he's doing. I don't want to hear your words. I want to see what you're doing and, and what you're doing with the, with the capacity that God has given to you is insufficient. Hmm. And that is something I think that's part of why we have a church. This is part of why as a human family, we have a church is so we can learn from each other's and each other in these moments. And part of how I view the church is a, a, a laboratory sure. of sorts um it's where we go to learn from each other it's where we go to bring our imperfections to the table and to learn how to work through them together um
1: so so something that sort of dawned on me uh within the conversation that we've had about this is um you know different perspectives this this conversation um certainly has been been uh between you and I about your experience but your your, your situation is not unique there are others who feel uh as you do uh, others who Work in the profession and and look around in their congregations and and think similar things like what are we doing or you know who who will be dead by year's end as we as we engage in that and and, and some of that and so I like that as we talked uh, at the very beginning about this, is that y- your conviction is that you know that this is where you'll be you know, that you have, have made this commitment. And so I sort of hear you wrestling as we've talked about it, where you're like, listen, I've made the commitment to be here, but this is hard for me to be here because of, you know, this person's actions, these people, this, this, you know, this virus infiltrating and whatever, all of the things, right. There will always be challenges to that, but that now this is sort of the thing that you are to wrestle with. How, how are you going to do that? Because I think staying, continuing to stay in a place um, not necessarily the physical place of, of of your particular ward, although maybe that's playing into it. But like staying in the place of like not kn- not knowing um, not knowing just even the character of the other individual. You mentioned that you don't you don't necessarily know him real well, or being not being able to have a further conversation where it's just sort of been ended at here's the email now deal with it. Like how do you how do you move forward in a way that you feel like both respects as to what's going on, but allows you to remain committed and being able to renew those covenants week over week.
0: Something that I've learned, especially because my origin in the church is um, so unusual mm-hmm. and that um, I didn't have missionaries who came and taught me. Um, I didn't have consistent access to the church in my first year as a convert. Um, something a skill set that I learned um throughout that time period was the idea of taking wherever you are and making it a holy place.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that was actually one of the um the youth themes from when I was a teenager was that idea of um stand in holy places and be not moved,
3: mm-hmm.
0: where if I wasn't being allowed to go to church, well then I'll just do church at home. Um, If I can't take the sacrament, well, then I will read my scriptures and I will read about the sacrament and I will trust in God that he will find a way to fix this problem for me, Um, that a solution will present itself. The ox will come out of the bush. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It puts me into a position where I have to trust in God more than I'm afraid of people. And that's really hard for me to do because I feel like so much of what I'm wrestling against in this season of my life is things I can't see. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And the thing that's supposed to be coming and rescuing me is also something that I can't see. Um, But through a, a long series of experiences in my life where I've needed help and God has shown up for me, I have to believe that will continue.
3: Yeah.
0: And to the extent that I can. And I even said in my original email, and people can go and see it. I said outright to my bishop, if this means that I can't take the sacrament anymore, then so be it, because my blessings will come from another place. Hmm. And I've had the experiences in my life to know that and to see that. Any time in my life where I have um, through no fault of my own, been denied access to an ordinance been denied access to a church meeting been denied access to something that I deserved, something that was mine to receive. The blessing has come from elsewhere. And that's the promise I think that we all have from a heavenly father who loves us. (laughs) He does not leave us comfortless. He will come to us. He tells us that in the scriptures and, um, I still believe that that's true. Um, To the extent that I can still do my obligations, I will still pay my tithing. I will still maintain my, my temple recommend status. I will keep all of my other commandments. I will show up to the Zoom link every week and listen to people talk about the confidence that they have in this bishop, the love and the care and the concern that they feel from him knowing that I don't feel the same way. I will exist in a place that is emotionally incomprehensible to me (laughs) (laughs) Um, for as long as it takes, because this too shall pass. Eventually this will pass. I've had challenges, not exactly like this one, but I've had challenges where I've had to implement similar responses in my life. Um, This is just another one that I have to overcome and eventually it will end. And what I think, because people are so afraid that we are in a situation that is never going to end, they tend to forget that they need to think about how they're going to feel when it does. They're going to be living with how they responded to this and how they responded to people and the way that we hurt each other in these moments for the rest of our lives. And, um, it's something that we need to remember um, the we're still on the clock as yeah. it were um, being judged for everything that we do. And I think it's important, especially um, if there are any <laughs> leaders of the church that are listening, that it's important to choose kindness when we're trying to experiment with policies to try and, and, and get responses out of people that we want. I know that the intention here is to get people back into the habit of attending church in person. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're trying to calculate and orchestrate how to best do that with the policies that they put in place. There are people that are never coming back to church because of this. Right. And, um, people who never would have left otherwise. Right. And in our efforts to get some people back to church, you can't throw some people out into the cold. Right. Um, it's, it it can't, it can't be on that level. We have to be meeting the maximum amount of needs possible. And it just doesn't make sense to me to start that fight when you know, you can't finish it.
1: The thing that strikes me uh, repeatedly as we've been chatting is that all are wanted and all are needed. And I think that that's a, an important place to come from Our time has drawn uh, to a close before I let you go there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall I will ask those of you now The first question is is do you have a calling and if so what is it
0: I don't currently have a calling um, but if I did
1: because so uh, I, I, I've
0: heard you previously yep. ask if you can make one up for yourself uh-huh. I've always wanted to be a testimony meeting referee
1: Okay tell me what that looks like
0: okay so. Um, I am told that once upon a time, I think long before I was born, there was a little flashing red light that would tell people like you're you're going on too long. You need uh-huh. to sit down. Uh-huh. Um, I want to take that, reintroduce it, but like get really festive with it. So like, <laughs> um, have the bishop turn over the the mic raising. Uh, the mic button and the, and the podium raising button to me. Okay, and then okay. as people start going on too long, I'm going to start raising and lowering the podium repeatedly <laughs> and then, um, have a, a sign in the back of the room that'll start flashing where it's like, wrap it up. And then if you still don't wrap it up and you still keep going, I want a curtain that comes down from the ceiling and just like comes down right in front of you.
1: I love it. I love it. <laughs> The only thing that would be uh, just that one step more is if we could get the organist involved in like playing you off, like you see on award shows, yes. like it just starts playing out and you're like, what oh, yes. I, I guess I'm done. I guess I'll be done.
0: <laughs> that, that if I could have any calling, including one that I could make up, that's the one I want.
1: I love it. Uh, I'm
0: creative with it.
1: <laughs> the last question that we ask uh, everyone who steps into the cultural hall and ask that you interpret it however you would like. The question remains is what is your favorite part of your faith?
0: Jesus, <laughs> like I, I, it feels silly to say that, but um, just knowing who my Savior is and knowing how much He cares about me, and seeing all the things He's done from the start of the world to now, as an unbroken commitment to save us, I think that's something that's unique to the message that we bear to the world is we literally have evidence that God continues to speak um and it's an unbroken chain from the early states of human history to now and um we have additional witnesses of Christ but we also have additional words from Christ and That's just incredible to me. It's it's my favorite part of being a Latter-day Saint is being able to take additional words of Christ with me everywhere I go and being able to share them with other people.
1: Well, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, Brother Brent, and Chocolate Cake Bites podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall.
2: Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat, on the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.